Coming up, Jake Gyllenhaal talks about the Boston Marathon bombing film Stronger, and Valerie Ferris and Jonathan Dayton talk about casual sexism in 1973 and their film Battle of the Sexes. What I took from her being unavailable was that she was extremely nervous. Not not for any other reason than her own lack of self-esteem. I always discredit my story and discredit myself and think I'm not good enough for a, a movie. And, you know, I still do, <laughs> but I'm here. There's something different that happens on set when I'm being directed by a woman, where there is a space for the cameras don't, not that they don't mean something, but that they aren't like the gods. Yeah. You know, that, that there isn't this uh, um, idolatry of the machinery. Number one, I think, you know, movies like this and stories like this aren't really being told as much. I think um, there there's a, a real balance in this movie of, of humor and, and a certain type of depth that I think tonally always can confuse people who want something that seems a little simpler. You are very much alone on the court. You, you know, and so I think of, you know, I don't want to just swing it towards America, but I, as an American, there's sort of this myth of American individualism, and that you you can lift yourself up by your own bootstraps, and you're out there, and you can do anything you want. And so, uh, I think that tennis players are these warriors who are single-handedly take on each other. Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krause. I'm Richard Krause. Come on in, shut the door behind you, keep all the cold air out. Come on in, sit by the fireplace, maybe pull a chair up to the bar, pour yourself a Negroni, and sit back and listen to these conversations as they fly through the air. A little bit later, we have a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people talking about a whole lot of stuff that you don't want to miss. We have some of the cast of the film Stronger. Now, this is not the story of a bomb or the radical politics that saw a bomb planted at the finish line of the Boston Marathon. It's the story of the aftermath of that. It's the story of Jeff Bowman. Jeff Bowman will be here, Jake Gyllenhaal, Miranda Richardson, and Tatiana Maslany. First up, though, we talk about Battle of the Sexes, new film directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris. It's about the famous, in fact, like so famous, it's the most watched tennis match ever in the history of television. The famous Battle of the Sexes between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. In the film, Billie Jean King is played by Emma Stone, Bobby Riggs by Steve Carell. And, you know, it's undoubtedly a sports movie. The climatic tennis match between the Wimbledon triple winner Bobby Riggs and ladies tennis world champion Billie Jean King takes up much of the last half hour of the film, but this isn't really a sports drama. Like all good sports films, it's not actually about the game. It's about the human spirit that makes the game great. We see some impressive tennis, but we also get a glimpse of how Billie Jean King's perseverance helped change the world and the game of tennis. Interesting to watch this film, and I began the interview with Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris by saying that watching a period piece, one imagines that we're going to see something that feels antiquated, that feels old, that, you know, is something past our experience. 45 years ago, 44 years ago, Howard Cosell called the tennis players little ladies. There were lots of sort of casual sexism being thrown around. And then 
you flash forward, you walk out of the movie theater, and you think, oh, well, Serena Williams mentioned that if she was a man, she wouldn't even be in the top 700 players by a, a, a commentator. Recently, you have the pay gap between men and women. So, I don't know. Maybe things haven't changed all that much. Anyway, that's how I started the interview with Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris of Battle of the Sexes. I think things have advanced, but not as much as we'd like to believe, you know? Yeah, I mean, both issues of gender identification and also, um, you know, sexism and equal pay, all those things, maybe of anything, I feel like we're more comfortable with accepting people's, you know, sexual preferences. Mm -hmm. Maybe. It's still never going to, you know, it depends on where you are, but um, I think... It changed a lot in the course of making this film. When we started, you know, Hillary was running, but we didn't know who her opponent was going to be. And then, um, you know, I think everyone felt pretty hopeful going through. And so the movie, the resonance has changed (laughs) greatly since the election. I, I actually think, you know, your term casual sexism is an interesting one because you know, a lot of times these things just get tossed out. And, you know, back then, we weren't maybe as conscious of some of these things. So when Howard Cosell puts his arm around little Rosie and called her little Rosie, and he said those things, they didn't, I don't think a lot of people considered it, you know, that offensive. Because they were really kind of baked into the times. But now there's a greater awareness, but it's still... And I think very much there. I remember when we first read the script, that was one thing we talked about was um, it, we, we, it was a little more overt, the sexism. Mm-hmm. And we did sort of t- take that back a little because, um, and I remember talking to Steve about this because Steve felt very strongly that it was a much more insidious form of sexism in those little moments right. like that and, and little lady. And they were just... You know. Well, I think when you hear him say things like, uh, it's the male chauvinist pig against the hairy-legged feminist or yeah. something yes, like that, yes. it's cartoony. Yeah. It's right, exactly. it's, right, it's right, just right. part of the shtick that yeah. he was yes, trying exactly. to portray. Whereas Howard Cosell's are and it's really snuggling oh. in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so that's actually Howard Cosell. So you've... you've, yeah. you've yeah. Oh, yeah, we put yeah. Rosie, we, our yeah, Rosie. You, you yeah. Rosie, yes. Yes. Rosie yes. in there. Yeah. So her positioning... Is the same, right? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Exactly no, and that's that's where that's kind of, even it was, Howard you know, had even bigger hands. We had to use a, a double's hand. Right for the, but his yeah. hand was huge. He was an enormous guy, and she was little Rosie. But so he called her little Rosie, but it it didn't feel like he was. But those those kind of things were not in the original script, and that was really the pleasure of working on this was finding filling it in with all of real them. life moments that we could. Bring in. I think that was anyway. Well, I, I mean, I know that moment with Howard was in the script. We just chose to use the real Howard. Howard yeah. And little, when when something like this is sort of off, talking but when something like that happens, and you want to use the real Howard, uh, does his estate have to sign off? Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And they're cool. They were okay. Well, with no, no. Huge, you bring up a really important point, uh, and and you know, I'm so I'm a little nervous about this because, you know. We wrote his estate and said, you know, would you please allow us to do this? That he was an a, a, an icon, and you know, we 
which we believe, um, and it was very important to us to have not just an image, like most of the times when you see him depicted in movies, it's someone playing him. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and it's a buffoon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's always yeah. irritating because, you know, we wanted the real guy because in many ways he was a lovely person, but he was really representing the prevailing attitude of the time. Well, he was of his time. I mean, and I, yes. yeah. yeah, he was yeah. of his time. And I think, you know, that's the thing that, that is, I think, for a lot of people, the younger people that see this will find it so kind of amazing. Right. Yeah. That it was, it was my dad, I suppose. Oh, and yeah, it, exactly. And probably thought that it was charming. What is it about tennis? Like, you, you know, when you think about various sports, there are metaphors for other things. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know? And, and what what is tennis? What is tennis a metaphor for? I mean, I think of it as we see in the movie, I think one of the characters, it's a paraphrase, but one of them says, you know, we're going to take it out of the country clubs and, yeah. and give it to everybody. Right. Billy Jean King wore that blue sash or the blue, yes, you know, yes, yes. Yeah. color yeah. on a, yes, on a yes, tennis yes, court, yes. you know? So, but, but what is it? Is it is it a, 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 a metaphor of, like, well, America's purity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. something or other? Well, I, I mean... I'd be more interested in what you think. I mean, I think it's a great question. I think it's a really good question. I would say, and I would want to kind of ruminate, but my initial thought is just that you are very much alone on the court. You, you know, and so I think of, you know, I don't want to just swing it towards America, but I, as an American, there's sort of this myth of American individualism and that you, you can lift yourself up by your own bootstraps and you're out there and you can do anything you want. And so uh, I think that tennis players are these warriors who are sing single-handedly take on each other. Uh, hmm. That's yeah. interesting, yeah, yeah. I, because I think, that, I mean, certainly the game has changed since yeah. The then. Yeah. 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 yeah, and Billie Jean was the one who, I mean, she always said, I want to take it away from the country club sport and make it for everybody. And that has, kind of, that has happened in the time that she's been, you know, when she started playing. Um, so I, I think that's what it represented to her, was this kind of snooty white, you know, she talks about white socks, white shoes, yeah, white dresses. Dress, yeah, yeah and it was all white, very white. And so, I mean, I, I think for her it symbolized, like it was something she wanted to kind of change. Yeah. Does she get the, the credit for being a groundbreaker that she deserves? Well, that's an interesting question, well, too. Well, I hope she, that this is part of... Yeah. A realignment. I, I think that, that. she's she's um, very celebrated. I think, but it's been interesting in these last week, this last week and a half, really, that we've started showing the movie. I think it's been very satisfying for her to get this new right. level of acknowledgement. So I think she maybe she felt like you know. Time yeah, you know, she had been bit. celebrated, and that was over, and now other people were getting attention, and so and it's been great. She's still so active in all of it. She yeah. she hasn't stopped working. She's not just out to further her legacy. She's actually just still working yeah. on the she's same issues. She's interested in these issues. Yeah, yeah. And, and supporting all the young tennis stars and, you know, women's and, and issues. And not just within the world of sports. I mean, no. Oh, no. no, no, no. And that no. issues and that sort of thing. She's yeah. all about fairness and inclusivity. You know, just, it's not, it's not so directed. I mean, it was a lot about sports then. She was really concerned that women's tennis was going to, you know, be made yeah. uh, a joke. And that's real. 
Um, so she's seen it, presumably. She, oh, yes. you know, yeah, 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 no, she many was, times. Many times, yeah. and she's happy. Everyone's yeah, happy. no, I think it was happy. very hard for her initially yeah. to even enter this process, particularly since what was important to us was to tell the story of her first relationship with a woman that that, that was wow, happening at the same and, time. Yeah. And, uh, but she, as painful as it was, she was fine with it, and she knew that that was the most important it's, aspect. It's a building block, right? Yeah. It, it is, of, of it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And so, so it was really, you know, important to all it, of us. It to, was not a happy time for her. Like, yeah. she says, I haven't really, she said she hadn't watched the match in 25 years yeah. or something. Right, yeah. And it was just, so I think it was hard during the process because we were also nervous that, you know, we wanted to make her um, proud and, and validate and who keep the would. complexity because you yeah. know she saw this as an affair you know where she was cheating on her husband not yeah. not only just the the huge move to just acting on her true sexuality but she loved Larry and she didn't want us to make that relationship seem less than what it was yeah uh, does Bobby Riggs, he's got a son, I don't, but he's yeah. not with us anymore, right? The, Bobby's, Bobby's not, not. And, 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 and Larry the is son alive. is here. Yeah. He, he has, he had two families, yeah. and um, uh, the main source for Bobby's legacy was um, Lorne Cool, who was his trainer, and he's right. in the movie, um, but he was younger than Bobby, so he, Bobby was like a father to him, and he was his right-hand man. So he trained Steve for four months. It wow. was incredible yeah. um, to and have he, him. He was sort of an advisor to us. Like, he'd come in and watch the tennis, and, you know, we'd talk about, he'd say, oh, that's not a good serve. Or, and our editor, Pam Martin, was also a, a tennis player, and she was amazing at helping us construct that. But if you but, see the 60 Minutes story from the time... Lorne is right there. It's just you know he's yeah. everywhere. Well, it's interesting. At the end of the film, you see uh, the real things, the real, yeah. and you realize how bang on Carell is in this. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. Unreal. Because at first, like I thought at moments, I thought, man, you know, there's, he's, just, he's so big. It's yeah, so big. Yeah. Right. I just right. Don't know, you oh, know, but Bobby man, he's, was. That's no, the thing. It, it, that, that, and that's it's a little. I. I it, it, it's hard for us because sometimes people say, oh, Bobby, he's playing, he's overdoing it. And it's like, you need to look at videos of Bobby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I was, it was really frustrating. Like, Vanity Fair did this whole thing about Steve being way out, out there. And it was like, it's not no, if you, you see, That's if why you, it's so important to have that. Yes, yes. Yeah. No, it, it was. On the couch, naked, yeah. and yeah. loving it. He was, he, he yeah. was having the time of his life, yeah. I think. Yeah. Did he blow it? by uh, being overconfident, by being more mm -hmm. interested in the hype, by being yes. more interested in, yeah. It was, it was his lost weekend. I mean, and he, the vitamins. he, yeah, the he can't, yeah, he, and, and uh, you know, yeah, God, uh, he beat Margaret so handily that he did think it was not gonna be an issue. Yeah. And, and he uncharacteristically didn't prepare. Yeah. yeah. But, 
and here we are. And here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, is there a takeaway from this movie, or is it simply an interesting slice of history that we will then ruminate over and say, "Can you believe they used to talk?" Like that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, we have all our own feelings about what's in the movie and what it's not even what it's about, but all the things that we were exploring as we went to make it. But I think what's fun is um, I, we left it uh, open for people to just come away with their own conclusions I mean, hopefully there's or room thoughts. Yeah. For that kind of yeah. personal connection and that what may mean something to one person will be entirely different for another. So, but, you know, we didn't, what we didn't want was something that was so polarizing that it just sort of divided the world into two camps. Propaganda. You know, you know and so kind. hopefully there are enough entry points and that, you know, frankly, we wanted it to be entertaining. We wanted it to be a fun ride, yeah. you know. And it is, and I love the, I think we're almost done here, but I, I, I love that, you know, you have the stuff where she gives them the piglet and all that stuff, like the, the mail show. Oh, yeah, exactly. and, that was, and that was all real. Yeah. You know what was funny, and we tried to get it into the movie, but the pig got loose. And they during didn't the during the match, and they were worried that it was going to run across the court, you know. And and, uh, and then they found it was just cowering under the bleachers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was before PETA. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought about that too. You know, like again, yeah. just something you wouldn't see today. Yeah. Yes. You know, oh, no. animal yeah. kind of being exploited. Yeah, 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 yeah. That'd be so funny if you had the PETA. Yeah, you know, yeah. Crowd and cigarette companies sponsoring. Oh yeah. Oh, I know. No, no, no. There were certain aspects that were. Just Which priceless. was funny because I was reminded that you know they, there was a point where they took cigarette ads off television, yeah, yeah. and that's why Virginia Slims sponsored this tour. That was Valerie Ferris and Jonathan Dayton talking about their film Battle of the Sexes. Now the next time I get to talk to them, I want to spend some time talking about all the videos that they made, the rock videos. They worked for everybody from. Ringo Starr to the Ramones. They did the I Don't Want to Grow Up video for the Ramones. They did Pets for Porno for Pyros. They did Tonight, Tonight for the Smashing Punk. I mean, it goes on and on and on all around the world for Oasis. These are people that really were immersed in that world. They worked with Janet Jackson. Next time, that's what we're going to talk about. We'll also maybe get around to talking about their other films too, like Little Miss Sunshine and the really wonderful Ruby Sparks. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Now we have two sets of interviews from the movie Stronger. They're paired off. We have Jake Gyllenhaal and the person he plays in the film, Jeff Bowman. Now Jeff Bowman is an unlikely hero. He was working at Costco. One day he's in a bar and he sees his ex-girlfriend. She says, you know what? I'm, I'm running in the Boston Marathon. Why don't you come down? He says, I'd love to. I'll meet you at the finish line. He meets her at the finish line. Well, not exactly. She's almost finishing the race. He happens to be standing next to one of the Boston bombers. And after the blast, he was left with both his legs amputated from just above the knee. And of course, his life has changed forever. He also became a reluctant beacon, a reluctant hero and representative of Boston Strong. He talks about that a little bit in this interview something he's very uncomfortable with, but this movie isn't about the bombing, it isn't about any of that stuff. It's about Bowman, and it's about his attitude. It's about Jeff Bowman saying, if I can get through this, you can get through this too. That's the takeaway here. This is Jake Gyllenhaal, who 
not only plays Bowman in the film, but helped usher this film onto the screen as a producer, and Jeff Bowman, talking about the movie Stronger. Well, so I was sent the, the screenplay in an early form uh, by my agent. There was no director on the project yet, and I just, I, I read it, I knew they were going to be making it, and I, I sort of fell in love with the story because it was so funny. I didn't expect to feel the way I did when I read it, you know, I was laughing throughout it, and I, I was so moved, and and I called up, you know, at the time, the head of Lionsgate, and I said, I would really love to do this. And he said, well, we're going to go look for a director and we can sort of have the discussion later. And they did that and came back and David said he wanted to work with me. So we met up and then through a number of circumstances, uh, you know, the movie was hard to get made, you know. Um, and uh, I had just started a company and uh, we were backed by an amazing company called Bold Films. and. They decided to finance the film and save us. <laughs> Number one, I think you know movies like this and stories like this aren't really being told as much. I think um, there there's a, a real balance in this movie of, of humor and and a certain type of depth that I think tonally always can confuse people who want something that seems a little simpler. Um, uh, it's hard to feel it, pick up off the page, and see it in that space, and it's a risk in that way. And I think also in a lot of ways people may have thought when they when they heard about the story uh, that it was maybe it was too soon or, you know, who wants to make a, a movie about, you know, that event. But in truth, the movie's not about the event at all. So that's why I loved it and that's why Bold loved it. And we, grow, we gathered a group of people who did and I think we made a movie I'm pretty damn proud of. So for me, being a producer on this film and... Uh, knowing the time that so many people put into it and knowing the sort of landscape out there of movies people are seeing, the thing that's most important to me is that people see this movie. So, uh, you know, we have always been that movie that um, has been a bit of that kind of had a bit of an underdog spirit in the way that, like, totally, you know, like I said, it was not always easy to get made and uh, it's been a long journey and a pretty incredible one. And to me, I just want people to see it because I think today uh, there are so many things happening. You know, Jeff wrote on his Facebook page yesterday this beautiful thing. He said that it doesn't have to make headlines to be hard. And there are so many hard things going on in the world. And Jeff's story sort of proves to people that, you know, they can keep going, that they can take another step, that they can survive that minute or that second or that hour they don't think they'd be able to get through. And he's a, a beacon for that. And I just want people to see that. I want people to know that. I think being a part of the entire process in the way I was with this film, um, I learned a lot from the veterans uh, on this, this movie, veteran, veteran producers. Todd Lieberman was the person who found Jeff's story, who championed Jeff's story to get made, to find the writer, to develop it. And now that I have a company and we're developing a lot of different projects, I see how difficult it is to even get something, uh, you know, into a script form and then from there into a movie and so on and so forth. So I, I would say um, I thought so. And what I realized was uh, producing a movie is something wholly different than thinking you have, you know, control or power over how it moves. It's about championing, you know, storytellers. It's about being able to pick people you believe in and fight for them. 
and fight even when nobody is listening, you know, and believe in something when nobody cares. And, and then go back into the shadows when everybody does and no one gives you credit for it. <laughs> and I think that's what I see with so many producers. And I think that's why it's, it's a pretty incredible job. And I admire Todd and David Oberman and the, the very beginning people who started and made this pro project possible. They're amazing. You know, I, I always discredit my story and discredit myself and think I'm not good enough for a, a movie. And, you know, I still do, <laughs> but I'm here. And Todd's right there in my face. Jake's right there in my face being like, no, we're here. You know, you're here. Uh, so it's great to have them say that to me and people that have been here before. And I, I'm just, I consider myself extremely lucky right now to be doing this. And like I said, there's people way worse off out there. Um, and there's people that, you know, live kind of like an easy life. Uh, but, you know, it's... You know, I'm here and I just consider myself extremely lucky and I hope people just take, there's just so much you can take out of this, this story and it's, uh, I'm just really proud of what it became. To Jeff Bowman, are there any parts of the film that make you feel uncomfortable? Probably the whole, <laughs> the, <laughs> the whole thing with my family, because they're like, damn it, Jeff, like, why? <laughs> uh, but, you know, they fight now i mean they've always fought my mom and my dad but yeah you guys saw the relationship between miranda and clancy and i lived that i've lived that for 31 years and you know you guys all i mean have parents and, and, and know people in your life that fight and they fight all the time just like you saw the struggle it's like nah, jeff's living at my house you know heck he isn't he's, he's not living up in cow hampshire and it, it's just that's constantly and uh you know to take that out, it would be not a true story. And I would like to take it out so I don't have to deal with them in my ear. <laughs> um, but you have to leave everything and to get the heartfelt story, which is, you know, true. And that's why it made me cry. So Jake would call me and be like, hey, what were you wearing? What, what would you wear? What, what were you doing here? And just questions. Um, but when it came to the filmmaking, that's for professionals and you know, way out of my hands. He asked me some questions, some, some, some things, but, you know, like I've, I've been saying, he just mainly probably watched me and watched me. He, see, he knows what's difficult for me, what hurts. You can, you can see it in my face. Like, if I take a bad step and, like, my leg starts hurting, I'm going to grimace. I'm gonna, you know, like, ugh. I feel like an 80-year-old guy. <laughs> like, sometimes, like, my hips hurting. And, so you can see that stuff. And, yeah, he asked. He dove right into it. What was your reaction when you first saw the movie? Cried a lot. It was sensory overload. Uh, just a lot of emotions. And I, I was with a lot of my family. My mom, my dad, Aaron, sitting right next to me. Uh, I kind of just went, I want to go home after and go to sleep. And I did. I just went home and went to sleep. And, and then, like, the next day, things started to hit me a little bit more and... and come out and I'm like oh that, he did that well yeah I you know I remember that and it's you know now it's kind of surreal but it's 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 emotional for me well, I've seen the movie a thousand times uh, yeah, in a thousand different forms yeah. I don't I, I mean um, but you watched it with me for the first time I, last I night. watched it I watched it with Jeff for the first time yeah last night so <clears throat> this movie has a um, a particular place in you know, my mind and my heart every time I watch it with a different person. People involved in it are just on my own. I mean, it has been through 
just like every movie, so many different incarnations, so much hard work from so many different people. I mean, I mean, uh, so the first time I saw it, I, I didn't, I never really saw it. I mean, I was, you know, I produced the movie, so I saw everything, you know, and then was very involved. So, but seeing it with Jeff last night, I've been worried for the past, I would say probably two years now about that moment, <laughs> you know, it was on my mind almost every single day while I was doing this movie about what it would be like when I sat next to him and would he just call me out, you know, cause everything that I, everything I did, I knew would never get close to the actual experience that he experienced. I just, um, I guess for me, I just, I was just so nervous about that and it was such a wonderful experience to sit there and know that I made a movie, we made a movie for him, you know, you know, he went through what he went through to have this some sort of a mirror up, up to him to be able to show him something and to hopefully make him open up and change and grow even more than he has before and I was just so, I was so happy and so emotional, there were so many things going on sitting next to David and Jeff last night was uh, uh i was so grateful i was very grateful my company has a, a lot of projects in development and we are we are very ambitious in our goals and so um that is uh that is happening it's it's uh at this point it's not even a question of want it's a question okay. of is are, <laughs> are they movies for you to specifically to star in or is it just for some of our slate is that yeah some of our slate are movies that you know at the beginning of a, of a of a company like this you know we're in a very unique position you know when an actor decides to produce um you know there's always different reasons for that some of it and i think the assumption is generally vanity um, um that is not my goal for this company my goal my goal for this company is to to develop and produce material that can actually i am not in um, and to champion filmmakers, like I always have, in a way, in my mind, to be in a movie of somebody who I respect and who I think has a vision that's new. Um, like I've made, I believe, a career out of trying to find people I love and respect who aren't necessarily initially the people everyone is into, and I love that, and that's why I want to produce. But at this point, we have probably half of our slated movies that I am attached to or developing for me, and then another half of movies that are not. And um, that's kind of our goal, but particularly also our goal is to produce things for um, more female-driven material. My, my partner and I are very uh, keen to do a lot of that, and we have a number of projects now that are that. So, on both sides of the camera. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal and Jeff Bowman talking about the movie Stronger. Now we have Miranda Richardson and Tatiana Maslany talking about the women in Jeff Bowman's life. His mother, Patty, and his girlfriend, Aaron. Aaron, he calls the love of his life. They are no longer together. But Tatiana, I think, has some really nice insight into what made that couple tick. And Miranda Richardson is a fascinating character. She is such a great actor. I mean, she's been in everything. Uh, in this film, she presents a kind of unsympathetic portrait of Patty Bowman. It's kind of fascinating, though, when we talk about this in the interview a little bit. When Patty Bowman saw the film, the only thing that she wasn't happy about was that it showed her smoking in the hospital. 
when you see the movie, you'll know that there's probably other things that she could have complained about. But I asked Miranda Richardson about that, and I thought that she answered it really nicely. Here is Tatiana Maslany, Miranda Richardson, talking about playing Patty Bowman and Aaron Hurley in Stronger. I mean, I met Erin very early on in the process, and, and Jeff, and, and got to spend time with her um, and her daughter, and, and just sort of ask questions and hang out, and, and nothing too fancy, you know, it was just really getting to know her and her energy. Um, and, and I think, you know, immediately I started running as soon as I knew I got the job, because uh -huh. I knew that that was something that I had never done before and couldn't, oh, yeah. couldn't do, so it was, it was this time that I had to sort of meditate on her and, and just daydream um, and uh, physically understand what, what she'd, her, her stamina and her strength. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it is an odd, it's an odd process mm -hmm. to know your playing. Where about you? Um, I would have liked to meet Patty, um, n not from an impersonation basis at all, uh, but just to hear how she expressed herself about the things that had happened. Uh, but she became unavailable, shall we say, <laughs> several times. And I eventually did get to meet her. And what I took from her being unavailable was that she was extremely nervous. Not, not for any other reasons than her own lack of self-esteem, I think, you know? Um, probably imagining she might fail in some way. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I got something from not seeing her as well. Mm -hmm. uh, for the rest of it, I ate and I <laughs> drank. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted physically to look different. Mm -hmm. uh, that's easy to do and it's even easier in Boston where they have great food mm -hmm. and great yeah. wine. <laughs> and I was right in the right place for, for, for that. And uh, yeah, just kind. I, I, I felt that Patty was a solitary figure within that family. Mm. So there is a support system there, but she seems alone to me, uh, and, and a lot in this movie. She's alone, uh, maybe even when she is with Jeff, because they, well, they shouldn't even be in the same space any anymore but I think because of her inner dialogue about how she is not really being a great mother she hasn't you know the father is not there she ran away that was the most interesting thing mm -hmm. she left big Jeff he didn't throw her out he's just like I can't do this <sighs> you know like mm. um, she did not commit and it's interesting yeah. that Jeff does not commit. He wants to and he doesn't and she wanted to and then she said, she, I said, why did you, why did you leave? And she said, ah, it just wasn't for me. You know, I, I, I should never have, I should, we should never have got married. You know, she was quite soon after. He took her away from her community, very importantly, persuaded her to live somewhere else and she couldn't hack it. Mm. So community is important to her. Family is important, but it, within that, I found her very alone. What, what do you think it says about Patty that uh, David Gordon Green said that her criticism of the film was that 
I didn't smoke in the hospital. Right, right, right. <laughs> of well, all the things that happened in this moment, of all the things you could have said, yes. that's what she pinpoints. And I thought that was really interesting. It was somebody who is who wants to be seen to be doing the right thing and you should, you know, be respectful. And, um, uh, yeah, not sort of not rock the boat. Yeah. But she is kind of maverick, you know. Yeah. And I, yes, that was my cheap joke moment, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> but you, you said, it, it's funny how everybody kind of is just living in that hospital. That becomes their home for mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, you're not going to see somebody go out of the building to have a cigarette and come back. And, and she would probably feel it was disloyal to leave anyway, because the mm -hmm. sun is just down the corridor. You know, you can't leave. And she Anything did stand by happen. the window, I think. Oh, yeah. If I'm remembering <laughs> correctly, she That's went right. over at least That's to the right. window. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, oh, I don't Anyway, I, I hope I hope there's not too many bad things there. <laughs> she feels oddly about. No, nope, that's that's it. Yeah, she loved the movie apparently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I loved Erin's contradictions that she was, um, you know, kind of there and f fully committed to being his caregiver, but also being pulled in the opposite direction. That love and hate coexist at the same moment. That um, need and like rejection are there too, and and. I just loved that contradiction. I thought that was so, you know, as opposed to being this, she's not this noble, saintly person. She has selfish wants that mm -hmm. are outside of taking care of him that maybe don't take into consideration what he needs and that are put her in conflict with Patty. This competition between the two of them, I just think it, it's all kind of underwritten and under, mm -hmm. under you know, kind of, it's, it's under the surface as opposed to sort of out loud and and just not being a hero again mm -hmm. like demystifying that idea of a hero mm. and um i, th I think uh the, the, what you're talking about is is also about fallibility mm -hmm. so 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 patty is uh <coughs> by no means perfect and she knows she's not and she doesn't really ha uh, have the tools to communicate how she feels so there's a certain anger there so uh one thing she has committed to, which is bringing up her boy, uh, which she does, as she says, the best she can, is, is threatened with being taken away from her. I mean, even though he's, he's staying in the same apartment, there's an interloper, you know, mm. uh, and a, a rival female. This is a classic situation, mm -hmm. isn't it? And uh, what's, what's cool, in a way, about Patty is that she does let him go, in a sense. Uh, at the end of the movie, and she says, "You, you know, you're going to be a great father," um, and she lets him go on the journey he needs to do. It's, so it's all informed by love. It's interesting that it's not about being a husband, though. It's not yeah. about like Aaron is still kind of like leapt over mm. in a way. To you know, it's so I'm just like I want to ask you a bunch of questions there too. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I think we're still discovering things. Yes, totally. You know, every time you see the the movie, you kind of go, oh. Mm. Or I yeah, guess in this process, when people are asking about it, like, oh, You'll fall yeah, I something. never really thought of that. Yes, or, totally. you sounds know, like a good it. idea. I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, this is what I believe. <laughs> the, the film features two very strong uh, female characters, and at least two, but you two. Yeah. Um, at the festival this year, and this is just a bit off track, but on the festival this year, a full third of the films here are made by women. Mm -hmm. and and. 
for the first time ever. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a thing. Is there just a comment that each of you could make about the importance of, of that? Because I interviewed Elle Fanning earlier today, and she said that the last four films she's made have been directed by women. She said, not by plan, mm-hmm. just sort of the way it worked out. And I thought to myself, 10 years ago, that wouldn't have happened, I don't think. No. You would not. You would have had a rough time piecing together four female directors mm-hmm. to work with in a row. You know? um, specifically, uh, what I'm working on at the moment is a series which is called Girlfriends. It's women-driven. The men are interesting but peripheral <laughs> for the most part. As they um, frequently are. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, um, <laughs> I didn't say that. Um, written by a woman, yeah. the first block directed by a woman, produced by a woman, uh, a lot of the crew is what I'm getting to also are women now. And I've seen that more and more, um, being able to do the same jobs, you know, gaffer, yeah. you know, best boy, etc., etc. Um, and I, I, that's, I don't know. So it's it's a welcome change, only in that there is a shift. I do find there is a shift in atmosphere on set. There's a, mm-hmm. I don't know, a just more embracing kind of atmosphere and and a very workmanlike, work womanlike, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just people kind of getting on quietly with their job. It's not really about big personalities. Or, anything like that I just uh, there has been a shift certainly across the board mm-hmm. I think and it's uh, I like it I like it Tatiana? Yeah I mean I've, I've been really lucky to work with a lot of first time female directors um, and and established female directors um, I'm it, it's something that that there is an understanding there I, I think that it's often I have felt like I'm put in a place of being like you were talking about, like the girlfriend or the this or the that. Um, there's something different that happens on set when I'm being directed by a woman, where there is a space for the cameras don't, not that they don't mean something, but that they aren't like the gods. Yeah. You know, that, that there isn't this uh, um, idolatry of the machinery, you know, like there's like, there's something that's else, and maybe it's just, I don't know if that's a female thing specifically or just the women that I've worked with, but there's a deep interest in mining the, the internal life of something, a dynamic between men, between women, between a person and the surroundings, between a person and their own body. Um, Jill Soloway talks about it all the time, yeah, and I'm yeah. just like, I love hearing her talk. She did that incredible talk at TIFF, yeah, yeah. which I think really was like, oh, that's what we that's what we need to do, you know, more. Um, and and I think that it's that it can be a male thing too, you know, yeah. that it's not exclusive to women, but it but it is something that we're that I feel is a new a new thing I'm experiencing, and it and it is often on female led sets. Yeah. I don't really, I don't really know where where I'm at. Um, I, I think, in hindsight, maybe I could look at where things have tracked. But, um, but no, I mean, for for me, it's every experience is in itself uh, scary and new and un, untrodden, and um, that's that's why I want to do it. But yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely Orphan Black. Or, or, there's no way I would have been in that room doing a chemistry read with Jake Gyllenhaal if. Orphan Black hadn't given me an, a door, like opened the door for me. Um, so, so I'm, you know, super grateful for it.
Wow, what a show. That was Tatiana Maslany and Miranda Richardson talking about the movie Stronger. Before them, Jake Gyllenhaal, Jeff Bobin. Before that, Valerie Ferris and Jonathan Dayton. That is a jam-packed show, but that's not all there is. Before we go, I just want to remind you, if you're not doing this already, if you haven't already set the PVR, do it now. I have a new television show. It's called Pop Life. It's a talk show. It's set in a bar. It's really fantastic stuff. We have cool celebrity guests. We have a panel that talks about interesting things like, are there too many famous people in the world? Uh, This week, we're talking about social media, the evils of it, and how it affects you if you're working, say, as a comedian, like one of our guests, Sean Cullen. Is it okay for people to record what you're doing on stage and then throw it up online as a memory? Does that steal some of your power as an artist. Anyway, we talk about all that kind of stuff. Meatloaf comes by, and wow, what a trip. I grew up listening to Bad Out of Hell. I was excited to meet him, and he did not disappoint. Here's a just a snippet, a quick taste of what my interview with Meatloaf will be like. You'll be able to see the entire thing in the show Pop Life on the CTV News Channel on Saturday night at 8.30, Then it reruns again on Sundays at 2.30. Set your PVR. Better yet, tell all your friends to set their PVRs. uh, And tune in. It's a good show. Please join us. I've read that you say that you have certain social anxieties, that you're quite shy, you don't love going to parties, you walk around at parties, all that stuff. Um, Was creating the character a way of getting around that? You have an extremely public job, and yet Uh, you're a shy man. You know what? I've never thought of that that nobody's ever asked me that, and I've never thought of that, and you might be right. That was Meatloaf talking about self-discovery on my new TV show. It's called Pop Life. Tune in, CTV News Channel, every Saturday night at 8.30, and then again on Sundays at 2.30. Tell your friends. My thanks to everyone who stopped by. It was a star-studded, jam-packed show. Thanks to all of them. Most of all, though, thanks to you for coming by every single week. We put up a new show every Monday. You never know who's going to swing by for a visit, so come back and see us every single week because who knows, maybe it will be one of your favorite people, and you don't want to miss that.